so as I uh, invited you a moment ago to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51, I'm going to read that Psalm in just a minute. It's 19 verses long. Uh, but just to remind you, we're in the second week of a seven week journey where we are exploring, considering uh, emotions. And we're going to be using uh, verses out of the Psalms. Uh, this particular week, we're going to be going to be looking at Psalm 51. Sometimes we'll look at one passage, sometimes a variety of Psalms. Last week, we looked at Psalm 30 as an introduction, as an overview. And if you didn't get a chance to be with us last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and read Psalm 30. And the, the main point we wanted to make last Sunday is that our emotions are God-given and that they're there to uh, help us relate to one another and relate to our God. They're, they're, they're not everything about us. We're spiritual, we're physical, uh, we are social, but we are certainly emotional. And so uh, we want to just look at that over the, over the next few weeks. So last week was a, a bit of a, of a primer for the rest, uh, the remaining six weeks. Today, uh, we're going to talk about sorrow and grief, but not in the sense in which we normally uh, talk about those things. Typically, when we're talking about grief, when we're talking about sorrow, we're thinking about loss, perhaps of a, of a family member. Uh, perhaps we're thinking of a, a broken relationship. Uh, we're thinking of uh, something that uh, has been hurt in our lives, uh, maybe a deep disappointment. Uh, and while that sorrow is very real and that grief is, is very appropriate for those moments, the Psalms are filled with David just crying out to God in, in moments of sadness. The psalmist is, is quick to point out that that part of life is journey, is, is uh, including sorrow and grief. But for our purposes today, we want to talk about grieving over our sin. Let me, let me make that very personal. Grieving over my sin. Uh, like every other sermon at Green Tree, this is not a sermon for me to nudge uh, my significant other or my friend or my kids or my parents and tell them to listen up uh, because you're, I'm aware that something they need to hear. We're going to look at this uh, from a sense of what is my sin? And do I actually experience a genuine heartfelt sadness because of the harm that, that my sin causes uh, in my relationship with God? the harm that it actually causes to me, uh, but also the, the hurt uh, that it can cause those around me. I, uh, I didn't know the story that, that Ms. Bethy was going to tell this morning, but she certainly hurt the person whose name was erased uh, as she put her name on that piece of paper. And, and there's probably some uh, need of forgiveness there and, and, and restoration. But uh, am I willing and honest to look at my sin, but not only to look at it, not only to identify it, but also to grieve over it. Psalm chapter 51, it's a Psalm of David. Uh, he wrote this Psalm after uh, a terrible sin, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. I mean, a really, really terrible multiple sins. Uh, if you've never heard that story, you may be surprised at, at someone who wrote so many pages of scripture uh, being that kind of sinner. But this is his response uh, when he was confronted with his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless 
in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and ascended. My mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Uh, hyssop was a, was a healing agent uh, that was used for wounds. Let me hear joy, excuse me, let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me, O God, from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us that it is safe to look at our sins honestly, that it is good to acknowledge where we have offended you, hurt ourselves, and hurt others. The Father, an appropriate emotion for us is the emotion of sadness as we consider what our sins do to ourselves and to others. Father, it is safe and it is good because you are a God of mercy and you are a God of compassion. And as we bring our sins to you, you will forgive us. You will purge us. You will clean us. David's hope was in the right place. We ask that you would teach us that this morning. Father, I confess my sin to you. I ask that you would forgive any sin in my heart. Lord, I do not want to be a hindrance to your word. I want to be an agent you use to share it. And so my heart must be right with you for that. So, Lord, I pray for that. Pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we would hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon in a sentence is this, grieving over my sin and its ramifications is foundational to God's restorative work in my life. Grieving over my sin and its ramifications is foundational to God's restorative work in my life. God wants to do restorative work. God is not just in the business of saving me. He is also in the business of, of growing me up in my faith. He, he is in the business of giving me more and more of his spirit and his word in my heart that I would grow and my faith would be deeper and more uh, abiding with him in order that my life would reflect his goodness. So part of that is the journey of what we may call repentance, that the journey of grieving over our sin and turning away from it. Today, we're just going to focus on the grieving aspect of our sin. There is, the, I could preach probably 15 sermons out of Psalm 51. There's so much that is rich and deeper. Even as I was reading it, a couple of things jumped off the page of me that, that I won't have time to mention this morning. Uh, but for our purposes, 
uh, it's important for us to, to see what this passage has to say about that part of our relationship with God. So here's how we're going to do this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at it kind of from three different angles, the topic. Uh, the first is what it's not. What, it, what is not grieving, uh, but yet maybe what I practice in my life. The second uh, uh, question we're going to ask is what is it, to grieve over my sin. And that's where we're going to dive into Psalm 51. And then the third question is, well, where does that lead? Uh, if I trust God's word here, if I, if I learn to, to grieve in an appropriate way over my sin, uh, how does God going to use that? And then we'll offer a couple of questions for application at the very end. But let's jump in. What's it not? And, and for what I'm going to, how we're going to do this uh, is we're going to look at some verses out of 1 Samuel. They'll be on the screen so you don't have to, have to turn there. But we're going to spend some time in 1 Samuel 15 with, with a, a fella who I would say mastered the art of deflection. Uh, what is the art of deflection? Well, it, it basically means that it's somebody else's problem and not my own. The individual we're going to look at for a few minutes is a guy named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And in chapter 15, the prophet Samuel, uh, who installed Saul as king, comes to him and says, God has a mission for you. God has an assignment for you. And that's in the first few verses. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel says, I'm here telling you what the Lord said, not my word, but his. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on their way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote it to destruction that they uh, and all that they have. Do not spare them. Uh, now, uh, there uh, probably needs to be a sermon uh, on God's partial judgment in different places uh, in history, but this is one of those moments where God, uh, in his righteousness, in his perfection, in his glory, says, I'm going to offer a partial judgment against the sin in this world. But God's direction is to Saul through Samuel, and he says, go and devote them to destruction. Go and be my agent of judgment. So the message is abundantly clear. Saul couldn't have possibly missed what God was saying. And yet when Saul went with the armies and did what the Lord told him to do, he did about 90% of it, but he didn't destroy everything. In fact, Saul looked around and he saw, hey, there's some nice herds of sheep here. Hey, there's some pretty fat oxen over there. We could have steaks tonight. Uh, he began to look and see some of the, the things that looked kind of nice. He said, ah, that would be such a waste. Saul sinned against the Lord. He did not follow the Lord's commandment. How does Saul react when he's confronted by that? Well, skip down to verse 9 when Samuel shows up. Uh, and Saul and all the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So there's that notion of let's, let's keep the good stuff for us. I'm sure God won't mind. And Saul goes off on his own. Well, then the prophet Samuel shows up. And a few verses later, Samuel begins to speak to Saul. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you, uh, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel that I would put in here, tongue in cheek, said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in, in, in my ears, this lowering of the oxen that I hear? Samuel said, there must be something wrong if you followed God, Saul, because I, I'm hearing sheep and oxen, and you knew you were supposed to totally wipe all that out. Here's Saul's response. Um, they 
have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we devoted to destruction. Notice it was them that did the bad stuff, but we, me, did the good stuff. Paul, Saul is mastering the art of deflection. He's pushing it off on someone else. Look at verses 20 and 21. As this conversation unfolds, Samuel confronts Saul. And so he gives Saul a chance to say, you know what? I was wrong. He, give, he gives Saul a second chance to just step back, take a deep breath, reflect on what he did, and acknowledge his sin. And so Samuel says, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Here's Saul's response to Samuel. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord has sent me. I brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Not only is, is Saul deflecting and refusing to accept responsibility, he's also blaming those who he's supposed to be leading, and then he spiritualizes it. But we're going to sacrifice it. We're going to bring it to church, and we're going to put it in the offering plate. We're, we're going to make sure that the Lord knows it, it's totally his. Saul refuses to acknowledge his sin. He will not take responsibility. The art of deflection is not grieving over your sin. Henry Cloud uh, is a famous uh, uh, therapist and author uh, and leader in the business and in the nonprofit community. Uh, he's written a book called Necessary Endings. And in that book, Henry Cloud says this, some people just cannot face the truth when it causes them discomfort. They blame you and see themselves as a victim. And they go away bitter. Cloud puts his finger on what is going on in Saul's life several thousand years ago. And what can happen in my life does happen at times in my life and can potentially happen at years as well. We shift the blame to others. We make excuses. We play the victim. And let me, let me point out, you can read it for yourself, but let me point out from this moment forward, Saul's life is nothing but a downward spiral. Saul loses the kingdom. Eventually, he loses his life, uh, and he, he literally finds himself practicing witchcraft towards the end of his life, all because he refused to acknowledge his sin. What, what grieving over my sin is not is deflecting it and blaming others. Secondly, what it's not is it's not what I'm going to call haphazard. Now, the death of haphazard is lacking any obvious principle of organization. In other words, you got to do something, but you don't really plan it out ahead of time. You don't really think about it. You start off on a project, you think it's going to take you an hour or two, but then you don't plan out that you needed to go to the store and buy some things and get it organized. And so you end up kind of making a bigger mess, creating a bigger mess than you had to start with. A lot of times we'll say, oh yeah, I probably did some sin. Jesus, forgive me. We kind of move on in a haphazard manner. It's an admission, perhaps, if you can shed the best light on it, but without any reflection or out, without any sense of, of hoped for outcome. In other words, it is thoughtless. Uh, I love to go to the grocery store. 
I don't love to go shop pretty much anywhere. I like Target a little bit, but I love to go to the grocery store. Not because I like to buy a bunch of stuff. I just kind of like to look around and see stuff and, and compare prices and kind of figure out, uh, you know, what's something that maybe I haven't had before. Uh, but I uh, have been in the past notorious for going to the grocery store to get something that Cindy asked me to get without writing it down. So I'll go to the grocery store and Cindy will say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, make, make that, uh, we're going to, we're going to do that, that stew tonight. So bring some uh, potatoes home. We need to put some potatoes in the stew. And I'll say, right, got it. And she'll say, do you want to write that down? <laughs> what she's saying is not a question. She's not saying, do I want to write it down? She's saying, write it down. Cause I know you'll forget if you don't. And then I'll go to the store and I'll get everything, but what fill in the blanks, right? Potatoes. I got it. I'm haphazard. I'm careless. But what that says to Cindy is I don't really care that much about you. I don't care enough to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and write that down because I know that that would make you feel better. What do we say to God? And we say, yeah, I kind of sinned. So, you know, Lord, I know I did something wrong there in a haphazard way. That is not grieving over our sin. Uh, and thirdly, it's not uh, relief by comparison. And what I mean by that is, is saying, well, at least I'm not that guy. And perhaps we've done that before. We would say, well, I did this, but so-and-so did that. Or yes, I was guilty of this, but the reason I was guilty of that is because so-and-so did something mean to me before I did something mean to them. And therefore I'm justified in my behavior. At least I'm not that guy. Now, the question we ought to ask for just a second before we move on to what it really looks like is why this reaction? Why is it that I feel like that's, that's the hill I have to die on? I can't acknowledge my sin for what it is. I can't let myself grieve over it. Why is it that, that we tend to uh, not be willing to look at it? Well, a couple of things I'll mention here. One is fear. Perhaps I've been hurt in the past by someone. Maybe I, maybe I confessed a sin to someone and they treated me badly. Uh, maybe, maybe I suffered at the hands of another person who was immature about my sorrow over my sin. And I feel like I need to protect myself. And so you say, you know, you need to be vulnerable to confess your sin. And my response might be never <laughs> can't go there. If I can't trust people around me who I can see, how do I know that I can trust God who I can't see could also be perhaps a sense of shame. Perhaps you've, you've been in a culture where you felt like you're never enough where you, where you're not worthy. And therefore you have to protect yourself uh, because if not, if, if you are vulnerable, uh, it will be used to shame you. Or perhaps it's simply uh, a lack of faith uh, that uh, I haven't put my faith in Christ for my salvation. I kind of know about God and I've heard a little bit about this Jesus thing, but I've never ultimately said to God, I'm a sinner. Uh, I've broken uh, my relationship with you. I've sinned against you and I'm in need of forgiveness. And I receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given me. I receive what he did on the cross as payment for my sin. And my faith is now in him. Perhaps you've never done that this, this morning would be a great time to do that, to be vulnerable, vulnerable with God and trust his salvation. But for many of us who are believers, uh, it's kind of a practical atheism. It, we, we don't believe God in that particular moment. It's not that we don't understand the gospel and haven't put our faith in Jesus, but at that moment, uh, I'm just not trusting God to forgive. So I, I, I want to encourage us. I'm going to use this phrase probably throughout the sermon series. I want to encourage us to be self-curious, to ask, what, where do I see myself? Do I deflect my sin? Do I, am I haphazard? 
about my confession or do I simply feel better because I, I know I'm not as bad or at least I don't think I'm as bad as so-and-so. Why is that reaction there? That'd be a great first application to this passage this morning. Just jot down some thoughts. Give yourself a little quiet time this afternoon or this evening. It's going to be a beautiful evening in St. Louis. Uh, sit, out, sit outside and ask the Lord to, to help you understand better why perhaps at times you don't grieve over your sin. Well, if that's what it's not, secondly, uh, what uh, is it? Uh, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, you can read the background for Psalm 51. We're not going to look at it this morning. We don't have enough time. But in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12, we are uh, introduced to the event in David's life where he sinned in a terrible way. I mentioned that a few minutes ago, and it is awful. Uh, within just, you know, a few days, David uh, broke at least four of the Ten Commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery with his neighbor's wife. He then murdered his neighbor in order to cover up that sin. And then he lied about covering up that sin. There are probably a couple other ones or several others that could be put in there, but that's the backdrop for Psalm 51. David has committed a several heinous acts against God and those around him. And so you see, if you have your Bible open, there's a little a little introduction to Psalm 51. It says, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is when David is confronted and David gives us a picture of grieving over our sin. The first thing I want to point out about this is that grieving over my sin is an intensely personal acceptance of my responsibility. It is a personal acceptance of my responsibility. Look at all the places in these verses. Me and my and I have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Oh, I missed one there. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And that's skipping down to verse nine. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David is not passing the buck. David is not deflecting. David said it, it he didn't, it didn't say it's your fault, God, uh, for any of this. David understands, or at least is beginning to understand the enormity of what he has done. And so his, the first step in grieving is understand that you have something to be sorry about. Not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not your coworker, not your boss, not your employee, you. Tom Ricks has some grieving to do here because this is my sin. That's the very first step in the process. But let's talk about what it means then to, to accept that responsibility. And I want to give you four words here pretty briefly. The first one is you need to realize what you've done. So a realization, a realizing. Look at verses three and four. I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, David is coming to grips with the reality of the situation. I heard a great story this week about two buddies who uh, went to their local uh, pub to uh, have a couple of drinks, and they've been doing this for several years. They've been uh, good friends for a long, long time, and so they were at the, sitting at the bar, and they had a little more to drink than they should. 
uh, and their vision was getting a little fuzzy, a little focused, and one of them kind of looks up, and he looks across the bar. There's two old, two old guys sitting over there. And boy, they look like they're just, you know, they're kind of three sheets to the wind. They just, they've had way too much to drink. And he says to his buddy, boy, look over there. You see those two? That's you and me in 10 years. His buddy looks over there and he looks at him. He goes, you knucklehead, you're looking in the mirror. (laughs) Realizing that it's me. (laughs) Realizing that it's my sin is part of the grieving process. But then also there's a longing to make it right. And so the second word I'm going to use is pleading. If you look at what David does here, he pleads with God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David is pleading with God. He's not pleading with God because the more you plead, the more forgiveness you get. That would be a a gross misunderstanding of this text. He's pleading with God because that's what he's feeling. That's his emotion. He is heartbroken over his sin. And he knows he can trust God. He knows, and we're going to see in a minute, that God is going to forgive him. But in that moment, grief is the appropriate response. And pleading is part of that process. It shows that, that, that broken spirit. But thirdly, it's not just realizing and pleading, but it's also hopeful. In verse 7, David says this, Purge me with the hyssop and what? I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David isn't putting his confidence in himself there. He's not saying, God, if you do a little part, then I'm good. I'll take it from there. He's saying, God, the only way I get clean, the only way I move out of this grief and and, into joy is if you... Purge me, if you wash me, if you if you clean me up. But he's hopeful. He knows that that's God's heart. He knows that the Lord will forgive those who who will come before Him in grief and in humility. He knows that God wants to do that restorative work in His life, and He has all the confidence in the world, not in Himself, but in God. I got a uh, call this week for my oldest son, Nathan, who lives in Southern California. And uh, my grandson, Cole, has started to play street hockey with some of the kids. They're starting to get out of the house a little bit. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're getting to play a little bit. But Cole doesn't have uh, a children's hockey stick, and all the stores in California are closed, I think. I haven't been to California lately, but I assume Nate's telling me the truth. But he said, hey, Dad, could you, could you buy a couple sticks and send them out? Now, Nathan made that request knowing exactly what the answer is going to be. You know, unless for some reason I had lost all the money I'd ever had in my life, my grandson Cole is going to get a couple of hockey sticks. There's no question about that. And yet he, he needed to ask, but he asked with hope for good reason, because he knows that I love him and he knows I love my grandson and he knows I love hockey, right? I'm missing the, this was about time the Stanley Cup finals were starting last year. I'm, I'm kind of hurting over that, but he was hopeful. That's part of the grieving process is as we mourn and as we plead with God, we know that we can trust him, which then allows us to be committed to our relationship with him. Look at verses 13 through 15. Oh, if we can go to, there you go. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And what? My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. The reason I can be committed to my relationship with God is because I've grieved over my sin. 
It, is, it, it has broken my heart to see not only how it's impacted my relationship with God, but what it's done to others. And so I plead with God to remember his mercy and his grace and his compassion. And then I, I have reason to hope, good reason to hope, that those who confess their sins will be forgiven through Christ Jesus. Therefore, I can recommit myself again to following and trusting in God. So it's an intensely a personal acceptance of responsibility, but it's also an emotional connection to my sin. Look at verse 17. We're just going to touch on this very, very briefly. But verse 17 says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise there must be an emotional connection to my sin. There must be a moment where the realization of what I've done undoes me to the appropriate amount. Some, some sins have less of a ramification. Some have more. Uh, but grief, whether sometimes it comes in large doses or sometimes in smaller doses, grief is the appropriate response. If I don't have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, then it, it, I, I need to question whether or not I'm actually truly, genuinely grieving and remorseful about my sins. There must be that emotional connection. But that emotional connection uh, shows my humility and my trust in God alone. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. We're just going to review some verses here. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Some versions say, let the bones you have broken uh, dance. So think about having a broken, a broken leg or a broken foot and, and getting it fixed up so you can go out and you can dance and you can, you can have fun. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. There's that humility. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. There's that trust in God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Rejoice in me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. You have a humility and a trust in God alone. So if that, if that is grieving over my sin, now we know what it isn't. Now we have a, some inkling of what it is very briefly. Where does that lead? The first place it leads is what I'm going to call relief. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. There's just a sense of relief. David uh, has heard Nathan say, as David confessed his sin, so David got called out by the prophet Nathan. Nathan said, Here's what you've done. And David didn't like Saul deflect. He didn't say it's somebody else. He didn't blame anybody else. He said, you're right. I have sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're going to experience the forgiveness of God. Nathan experiences relief. When I was in fifth grade, I broke a rib. I've got a lot of stitches in my life. I haven't broken, broke a finger once and I broke a rib once. It was miserable. I could not breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. And for several weeks, it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever experienced. I remember, even though that was a long time ago, like five decades ago, I remember when it healed and just being able to take a deep breath and just being able to, just to breathe again. And when we grieve over our sin and God restores our relation, when he puts away our sin through Christ, it allows us just to rest and who he is and experience that relief. But there's one other place that leads, and that is to sharing God's grace with others. And again, we've looked at these verses, but now David wants to share this grace. He, he, wants, to, he wants to get it out there. 
with the folks around them. He wants others to know of this mercy and this compassion. I'll teach transgressors your ways. Not like I'm going to teach so that they'll feel bad, but why? So that sinners will return to you. So they'll understand your grace and your mercy and your compassion. Deliver me and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David wants to share God's grace in worship back with him. He wants to acknowledge it and praise God for it, but he also wants to give it to others. How do we apply this text this morning? Let me give you just uh, four quick thoughts uh, and we'll close. First, I've got to ask myself the question. This, uh, again, I want to encourage you not only to be self-curious, but to give yourself time to be self-curious. I've started doing a, a devotional project. Uh, I don't want to talk a project like I'm working on and then I'll be done, but, but I'm using a tool uh, for the next 30 days and it begins and it ends with just two minutes of silence. And what I found, I'm in my third week, what I found is my two minutes have grown to about five minutes on, on either end of the devotional and I just want to sit and be still and listen to God's voice and just, just contemplate. Uh, what he's saying to me. So you can't rush through these, but give yourself some time and give yourself the freedom to ask the question, how and when and where do I deflect? How do I not take responsibility for my sin and confess that to God? The second step would be to own your sin, to acknowledge it's yours, not, and then let me tell you why, but just put a period there. Just stop. It's okay. God knows it. You're going to confess it to him. Hopefully, you're also going to confess it to others. That's part of the process. Uh, we haven't talked too much about that this morning. But you have to be able to say it's mine, not somebody else's. It's mine. Thirdly, receive God's grace and mercy through Jesus. I think this is one of the hardest things uh, I'll speak for myself sometimes is to allow God's forgiveness to wash over me, to let it go, to know that Christ paid that price on the cross, and I truly am forgiven in him. But what I find is when I do that, when I, when I embrace that, it allows me to be more gracious and compassionate with others. It allows me to understand when they grieve over their sin and to offer forgiveness more quickly. I'm not perfect at that by any stretch of the imagination. It's a huge struggle for me to not hold people's uh, sins against them. Uh, but when I grieve over my own, it gives me a longing in my heart to want to love others well. Grieving over my sin and its ramifications is foundational to God's restorative work in my life. Will you pray with me? Father God, uh, we all sin and fall short of your glory. And sometimes those sins are awful. We can't judge David this morning uh, we commit awful sins as well. Lord, forgive us for being so artful at deflecting. Forgive me for being so artful at deflecting. Forgive me, for Father, for, for saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as the other person, or just being haphazard in my confession. Father, thank you that you've created a safe place for me, for us to come and confess our sins, to feel that emotion of grieving in a good way that leads to life. Father, thank you for Psalm 51. I pray that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey guys, thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm gonna stick around for a few minutes uh, after the benediction. If you'd like to text or send in some questions, uh, Javi will uh, uh, get those organized and we'll chat for a few minutes. So if you have some thoughts uh, that you'd like to send in, go ahead and uh, do that. Uh, just a reminder before the benediction, keep an eye out for our um, information through our, uh, the memo that comes out. Uh, I think, I think I normally get it on Saturday morning. It might, might go out late Friday night, but, uh, keep an eye out for that for details, uh, on, uh, how the process of reopening, uh, will unfold and also 2028. Don't forget, uh, to begin to sign up for that and now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. May our broken hearts be bound up by his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ until the day we see him face to face. Amen. Lord bless you. Go in peace. Or stick around for the conversation. So this is kind of the part where uh, Javi figures stuff out. And so if I start looking like I'm looking up to heaven, it's because he's, he's talking to me through uh, the speakers. So Javi, if you, uh, whenever just interrupt me, I'll just kind of ramble uh, for a couple of minutes. Um, life at Green Tree on our staff uh, is a challenge. If you uh, want to pray for us, please do. Being separated is really hard. Uh, we do a lot of Zoom meetings, and uh, uh, a lot of folks are doing a lot of Zoom meetings, so if you've done those, you know how that feels. But pray for our staff uh, as we try to navigate how to do ministry and uh, continue to serve uh, during this time. So, have you got anything? Okay, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep on keeping on. Let me also encourage you, uh, to, if you can, if employment is still going well, if you're still uh, okay financially, please be faithful with your giving. Uh, we uh, obviously, um, not being together has an impact on that, but we still have our, uh, our building uh, that we need to take care of and our, and our staff as well. So uh, let me encourage you to give online. Uh, that's, just, I, that's what I do. It's simple. I need simple. Uh, so let me encourage you to, uh, to do that. Uh, and uh, if you can't be faithful, that'd be awesome. Okay, Javi's whispering to me, fire away. Kathy Harkey, good morning. Uh, any, any news about VBS or summer Sunday school? Uh, Javi, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think VBS is going to be virtual or have we not decided that yet? I... I yeah, I don't think it's finalized yet, Kathy, and, and everybody else. I think the notion is that we would we would lead it so that it could be done, you know, in the neighborhood, in the in the yard, in in in, in the house with, with the family, uh, maybe with a couple of kids together. I, you know, how whatever the social distancing is there, um, but that's right now is is where we're leaning towards. Uh, we'll make sure to give you an update uh, within the next week or two on that. And then the second part of your question was summer Sunday school. Uh, where we are right now is you can only have 10 or fewer people together. And so to, uh, to try to create uh, the number of Sunday school classes, we would need to do that to do them live uh, is just really, really uh, difficult. 
uh, and, and at some point it becomes counterproductive. And so we, um, we want to get to the phase where we could do a little bit bigger groups uh, in a safe way uh, in order to do some, some if we do face-to-face -face teaching uh, and that sort of thing. That, that goes for worship as well. Uh, I think right now we could open with some small number of people in the sanctuary. Uh, but again, we, we'd have to have, you know, a whole bunch of services to try and cover that. So I think we'd rather put our energy into trying to create a really good uh, virtual service as best we can right now. Uh, who asked that question or is it an anonymous question? Ted Williamson asked me, do I like the setup that they're proposing for the end of the NHL season? No, I do not like it at all, Ted. You can, you can go on record as Tom Rick's having said, I probably ought to put something on my Facebook page. I haven't put anything. I think it's crazy that we've been two months. If I was in charge of the Players Association, I can't imagine the player. I mean, I understand they want a paycheck. I can't imagine after a couple months off the risk of injury and all that. I, you know, I understand people want to try to salvage some income and some revenue. Uh, I understand that there's some hardship there, but I, if I were the king of hockey, I would say we'll see everybody in September if things are opening back up and, and going well. I miss hockey. Uh, man, I miss hockey. Um, but I, I if if I were a player, I don't think I would, I would want to come back. I think I'd want to just stay with my family, and uh, I probably wouldn't quite be in shape either. So I uh, now the other part of that is if they play, am I going to watch? Yes, of course I, I'm going to watch. Sarah Crook asked, "Do we need to go back?" The previous sins that we've already asked forgiveness for, if you mean go back and confess them again, Sarah, what I would say is you would need to examine your, so first of all, well, no, let me keep going with that thought. Sorry, I was going to ramble in a different direction. I'm not going to. Um, you need to examine your heart. I would need to examine my heart and say, was that a genuine confession? Did I, was I really heartfelt and asking for forgiveness? Uh, assuming that was, I think where I need to go, where you need to go, is with verses of assurance, like in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I've confessed my sins, even if I haven't done it perfectly, again, we, we are resting in the grace of God and the Lord Jesus. Uh, we are resting in his perfection. So it's not like if you don't follow the formula, you're out. Uh, but if I genuinely confess my sin, I don't need to go back and revisit it again. Now, what I might need to go back and revisit is its ramifications. So did I confess that sin to the Lord? Was I truly grieving over it? But maybe I didn't confess it. You know, I'll just, maybe I didn't confess it to Cindy, my, my wife. Maybe I need to go back and I need to say, sweetie, you know, when I did that, I don't think I ever said to you how wrong I was. Uh, and so there may be a need to go back for that. If you look at a sin and you go, you know what? I didn't even really confess that. I just kind of said sorry and blew it off. Yes, then I would absolutely spend some time grieving over that sin, following, you know, kind of the outline of what Psalm 51 says, because that's how God restores our relationship with him. That's how he, he brings that restorative life into our, into our bones, so to speak. I mean, that's what David's calling The bones that have been crushed can be restored. So if I, if I look at an experience in my life and go, I didn't really confess that sin, yeah, it would be good to go back and, and, and to do that and to grieve over it. And then that may still lead you to 
asking someone else for forgiveness for what you did, or it may be done right there. So I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Bill Tucky says he, that Tom Ricks can't say anymore. Well, at least I'm not a Cubs fan. Uh, Touche, Bill Tucky. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you that round. Uh, but next week, maybe I'll pull out my Cardinals hat and wear it while I'm while I'm preaching. But uh, great point. Never never mess with those retired high school pr uh, uh, school principals. They'll always get the better of you. Sally, thank you. Sally McNeil said prayers for the staff uh, and for when we should come back together again. Um, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And trust me when I tell you, we are not dragging our feet. We're not kind of sitting at home going, oh, that's kind of nice. We got some time off. We want to be, we, we long to be back together. We just have to be very, very cautious and we have to, we have to do this as, as best we can. So thanks, Sally. Yes, I have my short sleeve shirt on this morning. I uh, thanks Kathy Hargay. I, I asked the guys ahead of time if it matched because Cindy, I left really early this morning. Cindy was still asleep. I think the green and the brown go okay together, but I'm not I'm not sure. But at least I have my short sleeve shirt on because it's it's going to be it is a beautiful day outside. One more, or are we wrapped up. What do you think? Okay, guys, thanks for being uh, with us this morning. Thanks for sticking around a little bit afterward. Uh, the Lord bless you. Have a great day, and we'll be back together, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday. Take care. Bye-bye.